You're listening to Sprott Money's Monthly Wrap-Up with Craig Hemke. Welcome back to the Sprott Money News, SprottMoney.com monthly wrap-up for the month of April, the tumultuous month of April 2022. I'm your host, Craig Hemke. Joining us this month is Dave Kranzler. If you are in the precious metal sector, you probably know Dave. He runs a great website, investmentresearchdynamics.com, and his newsletter, The Mining Stock Journal, is uh, really very valuable if you're interested in the mining sector. I mean, you can do your own research. Heck, you can even throw darts at a board. You're going to get some winners. But a lot of times, the key is avoiding the losers. And uh, Dave does great work and has been doing it for quite a long time. And personally, I would encourage you to check out his site again, investmentresearchdynamics.com. Uh, he's also an occasional writer here at Sprott Money. So it's great to have him join us uh, for the monthly wrap up. Dave, thank you so much for spending a few minutes with me. Thanks for having me on, Craig. It's, it's an honor to be invited. Although I, I think your intro might've been a little over complimentary. <laughs> <laughs> If only they all knew you as I know you. But uh, anyway, no, it is. I, <laughs> I, I state this often. Again, I, I, I think we're in a pretty solid bull market here, uh, regardless of what we've been through the last six or seven days. We'll talk about that. Um, but you need help. I mean, you got guys like Eric that, that can do it on their own, but even he's got a team that helps him uh, look at the mining shares to find which are the right ones. So you need a team. And, and I think what you do is, is very valuable in that regard, Dave. And again, I, you know, and, and I want to point out, as I often do, all information in the precious metals value. We really don't want to do it on your own. And I think what Sprott Money does, uh, either with these calls, this monthly wrap-up, or the monthly preview thing that, that I do with, uh, that looks at the technicals with Chris Bermulin, uh, the articles that are written by great writers like David Brady, all this stuff is valuable. So please check out SprottMoney.com all the time. Sign up for the newsletter so that when something is posted, you don't miss out. Uh, hit maybe a like and a subscribe on whichever media channel you take the stuff in so that you get notified as soon as stuff comes up. And then again, thank Sprott Money for this content. You know, they make it for free, but you know, it, it, it's a business. And so they could, uh, it'd be great to have you Put them on the list whenever you're in the market for physical metal or storage. And SprottMoney.com is the website. And of course, you can always call them at 888-861-0775. Dave, okay. Uh, it has been a tumultuous month, man. Um, let's see, it took about 12 weeks for the GDX to go from 29 to 41. And it took one week to give half of that back. So let's start there. Um, just a correction, you know, where all the latecomers get flushed fast. What do you make of the mining shares here as the month ends? You know, I, I, I like the way you put that because what people tend to overlook is, and I, I had run the numbers right before the GDX fell. If you just look at the chart, it looks like it fell off a cliff. And I had run the numbers right before it fell off, off a cliff. And from the end of January through, let's just call it April 14th, I mean, it, it was up 30%. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a huge move for, for a, a stock index a in that short a period of time. I mean, if, if, uh, if the S&P or the NASDAQ went up 30% in two and a half months, I mean, they'd be doing naked cartwheels on CNBC over it. Yep. You know, of course, the, 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 that type of move in the mining stock sector 
gets no acknowledgement except you know by by we gold bugs. So I, I was actually expecting some some type of correction or pullback, and you know, as you point out, it 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 took a week or week and a half to give back half of that gain, and that's that's just the way it rolls in this sector. It's the sell-offs are shock and awe, and and the big moves higher get get very little notice or recognition in the mainstream media. So, um, and I, you know, I think it's obviously there's some correlation there with what's happened in the stock market because you get, you, you know, hedge funds are especially the momentum-oriented ones when they see they'll 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 pile into anything that's moving higher, right? And right. and so. Uh, I'm assuming that especially some of these momentum-based hedge funds had had big positions in the in the ETFs and, and a lot of the stocks. And and when the stock market starts doing what it's done over the last week and a half, they sell everything. I mean, anything that's not nailed down in their office, they 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 toss it out and hit bids because they don't, first of all, because they're levered up, they don't want to get margin calls. And they're also trying to get out ahead of everyone else. So um that that was also a factor. And I had been writing in my newsletter for probably a month that, it, you know, and again, I'm not a big TA trader, but I, you know, you have to pay attention to what just the simple TA indicators are doing, like the RSI and the MACD. And they had gotten extremely overbought technically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I was talking about, you know, we could use a, we could use some type of uh, sector correction just to reset the momentum indicators. And get some of the froth out of the out of the sector, and I mean, you know, as usually happens, it happened all at once. So yeah. then, I guess the issue is, does this keep on going for a lot longer, like sometimes it has in the past, or do we, you know, are we going to get a bounce here at some point? So, um, you know, I would say maybe the worst this gets is GDX goes down to the 200-day moving average. I mean, when we have long sustainable bear cyclical move, I mean, bull cyclical moves in this sector, and I think we're in one right now, um, usually the worst it gets when you have corrections is, is the 200-day moving average. So um, I'm probably going to start actually allocating some more, of my, some more of my capital slowly back into, this, into some of my favorite names. Um, but, you know, I'm not going to jump in all at once because, you know, it's I, I always advise my subscribers, you know, save save capital for a rainy day because you never know, you know, just how volatile this sector can get both ways. Right. The rainy day rolls in pretty fast. Yeah, exactly. It um, quickly becomes a, a downpour. It sure does. <laughs> uh, and for everybody listening, the GDX about 35 as we record this, I think that 200 days down around 33. So that's uh, yes. uh, six, seven percent, maybe more down, uh, which could come. We've got. And I want to focus on this, Dave, um, as we look ahead. We've got this May FOMC meeting coming uh, next week. We're recording this on Wednesday the 27th. It's just before 1 o'clock, one week central at least. One week from right now, we'll be getting what I call the Fed lines and then uh, half hour later, Powell's press conference. Um, there are two angles to that that I want to explore with you. And then we've got some questions that people have sent in. Um, sure. One, the stock market really all markets, again, not just the mining sector. I mean, there were days last week when crude would be up and the energy sector would be down 3%. Um, this kind of liquidation event 
that spilled over into futures. Like you said, anything that's not nailed down starts getting sold to avoid margin calls. Um, people try to tie that back to uh, who I call Goon Bullard early last week, <laughs> saying that uh, that he need that he wants seventy five basis points as soon as this Fed meeting next week. And uh, some people tried to walk that back, but that kind of seemed to get things steamrolling uh, to the downside. Um, so. As the first question I want to ask you, how much of this, and again, I have a follow-up to this, so I want to focus specifically on how much of this washback and shares, metals, S&P, everything else, is related to this notion that the Fed is going to be really hawkish uh, in, in coming out of that meeting next week? I think that's a great question because, I mean, there's obviously a lot of things going on beneath the surface not related to Goon, Goon Bullard and his clan. We'll, we'll get there. That's part yeah, two. Um, so. But it certainly, certainly you could say, you know, I think what we saw in the stock market at least was probably going to happen anyway. But you could certainly say that Bullard's remarks were a trigger point. And, and also um, recall around the same time, Lael Brainerd came out and advocated um, higher higher interest rates and right and she's the she's the you know the resident uh mmt economist on the on the fomc committee so i, I was i personally was shocked when i heard her talk about that and i think that i think it was kind of the, the bullard brainerd combo that that was your trigger event and down we went and uh yeah it looked like we were okay until what was it wednesday i guess last week one week ago today and Okay, so, so now we approach it, and maybe that's all it is. Um, but you're an expert, Dave. You've been, you've been, uh, you're, you've been at this a long time, and, and, and your expertise in fixed income and derivatives and, uh, and all, that other, all the other knowledge and experience you've gained allows you to kind of peel back the onion a little bit more and maybe connect the dots. And what other metaphors can I come up with in the next five seconds? Okay. <laughs> all right, so here's where I'm going with this. Um, the Bank of Japan has had a, a policy of yield curve control in place for what a decade more, where they don't allow the Japanese government bond to go above uh, 25 basis points. Yeah. And so all of this hiking by the Fed and the 10-year note spiking up near to 10 or 3% and all this kind of stuff is putting huge pressure on the Bank of Japan to defend that yield curve control. So they're printing yen and buying Japanese government bonds like crazy, and the yen is just imploding. The move in the yen weaker versus the dollar is over 10% in just the last couple of months. Now that by, by extension is putting a lot of pressure on the Chinese who have already been cutting rates while you've been hiking and they can't seem to cut them any further, which then pressures the Chinese to devalue yuan. The last time they did that in 2015, the S&P fell 10% in five days. So I wonder, Dave, um, is there, and this is what I want to get, your, get people thinking about and get your thoughts on, is there this kind of a loop now that can close off that by the Fed threatening to be hawkish and hiking rates puts all this other pressure around the planet, which then dries up liquidity, collapses markets, stock market starts to go down, and it completely cuts the Fed off at the knees, regardless of how hawkish they want to be. So I guess what you're asking is, given what what's going on with the Bank of Japan and the the People's Bank of China, is that, is that going to give the Fed some leeway 
to, the e- the to backpedal on its monetary policy. I get in the ECB too, Dave, because all they can, I mean, all the 9 trillion euro on their balance sheet, you start marking all that to market on higher interest rates and they're going to all of a sudden be insolvent. <laughs> so yes, that's what <laughs> I'm Central at. banks already are insolvent. <laughs> Good point. Um, you know, I've, I've had kind of a, in the back of my head, I've kind of had a, a working theory of really what we're just seeing is, is, um, is, is a, is a competitive, um, it's, it's a, it's a competition to devalue your currency, you know, where eventually they're all going to devalue them to zero, but yeah, it, it does seem like, it does seem like these central banks, you know, between China, I don't know about Japan because they haven't been hawkish at all in the last 10 or 15 years, but it, it seems like, you know, one will make a move to either tighten or, or loosen and then the others kind of follow suit. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, you would think that um, relative to what's going on with the yuan and the, and the yen and the euro um, with, you know, what's going on with the dollar, you know, maybe the Fed can say, oh, well, maybe we can ease up our on our monetary policy now that everyone else is. But that's not going to fix the inflation problem. Right. So I, I, I guess it kind of just depends on on how serious they are about attacking the inflation problem. Because quite frankly, you know, Bullard's, Bullard's banging the chains for a 75 basis point hike. That's not going to do anything. I mean, they, they need, you know, just to get, if you want to just use the CPI inflation rate, just to get to a, a neutral interest rate, you have to take it up to what, eight and a half percent. Good luck with Isn't, that. Wasn't, this, wasn't the CPI year over year eight and a half percent for March? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, and you know, and that's that's why Volcker did what he did so abruptly eventually. Now, obviously, our guys, our clowns don't have room to do that, but but I mean, you know, nudging interest rates up to even one percent, that's not gonna that's not gonna do a lot. I mean, yeah, it'll slow down the economy and you might. You might you might put a break on prices with demand destruction, but you're still there's you still have massively negative interest rates, and you're so, so just by that you're de facto devaluing the currency. So in the end, Dave, we're listening to the Fed next week, and um, it doesn't matter, right? I mean, for because the people listening to us are mainly precious metals enthusiasts. Right. They watch the price go up and down. They watch the shares go up and down. And you got to pay attention. Right. And if you want to try to time things and and or do whatever. Um, but does it really matter? I mean, is, is it all kind of this kind of doom loop at this point anyway? And um, the central banks are trapped and there's really no way out other than MMT and money printing. And so therefore, I would just love the weakness and when it comes and buy more. Well, I think that's right. I, I don't I don't know what else you're going to do. I mean, if you're if you're trying to buy, you know, now the big narrative is, oh, well, rotate into defensive stocks. Right. Right. Like, like consumer staples and and defense companies and, and pharmaceuticals or whatever. Well, uh, that's great. And maybe they they go down more slowly relative to the rest of the market. I don't know. Or maybe maybe they catch a bid and move higher as money rotates into that. But when you sell that, you still end up with dollars in your account that are being devalued <laughs> <Yeah>. every second. <laughs> so what, you know, what's the point? <laughs> right. 
Exactly. Hey, thank great. I've got dollars again. Lucky me. That's right. I mean, for me, I know, you know, I, I only, I only buy, put, move money. You know, I only buy more physical gold and silver when they get really, really beat up. So like right now I'm not, I'm not really thinking about buying any more gold and silver or physical at this point. I think there's still more money to be made in, in the stocks, but you know, so like in, in March and April, 2000 or 2020, you know, I, I started buying some, some gold, physical gold and silver again. And we were, you know, we were down at, you know, gold got as low as 1200. I didn't, I didn't get, you know, ounces of gold that low, but you know, I, I know that the $1,200 that I moved into each ounce of gold or 1250 or 1300, whatever the number is. Now, if I wanted to sell it, I'd be getting what almost $2,000 for it yeah. when you include mm-hmm. the premium. 1950 So I'd actually be getting a lot more in fiat currency. And so to me, that's how gold is supposed to function. It preserves your wealth. And, and when it gets undervalued, and same with silver, I don't want to leave silver out. I mean, when I mention gold, it also means silver. I own more silver than I do gold. Um, you know, that's the way gold and silver is supposed to function. They, they preserve your wealth. But when they get to be ridiculously cheap, and I do think they are ridiculously cheap right now, but I mean, I, I've got a lot, so I want to wait and see if it gets even cheaper before I buy more. Um, then it, it also becomes an investment because there's there's um, some rate of return opportunity in there also. Right, right. Well, all right, my friend, when we announced you were going to be the guest this month, uh, we had a, a number of questions get sent in. And whenever we do these calls, we always take questions ahead of time. You know, the email address is just the word submissions at uh, sproutmoney.com. Um, just as we wrap up, Dave, just four quickies for you, just to kind of get your thought. I wanted to just get your thoughts and see if we can't answer some of these. Uh, you mentioned uh, physical silver and kind of, you know, sometimes it's a good trade and there are various avenues to do that. People have heard me rail against the major ETFs, you know, like the SLV and the GLD. I think those are a sham, but PSLV and PHYS as managed by Sprout Asset Management are, are, are just fine, great physical metal, uh, backing those. So anyway, the question, Dave, was somebody wanted to get your opinion on using uh, PSLV in, instead of physical metal for uh, stacking purposes, exposure to price. That's Maybe there's a tax benefit when, you know, when it comes to sell uh, as capital gains. You know, rather, I'm not sure exactly how it's treated in Canada. Just your thoughts on PSLV. Sure. Well, I mean, what differentiates the Sprout ETFs from the other ETFs is that there's obviously um, a, a much a much more rigid accountability mechanism so that you know that when you're buying the, the share of PSLV, you know that the silver is actually in the vault to back that share, right? Right, yep. And it, it has a convertibility mechanism. Now, I mean, you know, for a lot of people that convertibility mechanism may be out of reach financially, but it, it, you know, that's also an accountability mechanism. The fact that a high net worth guy, if they buy enough PSLV, they, they can, well, I don't think they call you up, we call they'll call up Eric and say, Hey, Eric, you know, I'm, I want to send you my PSLV certificates, send me my silver, you know, and that, that happens. Theoretically, it's supposed to happen with GLD and SLV, but it doesn't. And I've heard horror stories from, from people who are in a position to know, and I don't want to, you know, say who they are, but 
they they've heard you know periodically of of wealthy guys trying to trying to redeem their their GLD shares for 400 ounce bars and they get denied. Right. Right. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't look at PSLV as an exact substitute for stacking silver, but for convenience and and for um, indexing the price of silver. And also for being certain that when we do have that big default event and, and the, the, the straw man ETFs head south while the price of gold and silver head north, PSLV and FIS are going to head north also because they, they, you know, they are in a bona fide manner backed by actual physical gold and silver and there's accountability there. Yep. Yeah, that, that's a good uh, lead in to a, a question I want to make sure I ask you, because we had two or three people kind of give variations of this question. It just gets back to the, the old gold-silver ratio. <laughs> you know, um, uh, somebody mentions here that, that Eric suggested, you know, return the old bimetallic ratio 15 to 1. Uh, I, don't, I don't even know what to make of it anymore, because everything's so levered and it's all derivatives and, you know, the, maybe it's a gold silver derivative ratio um but what do you think (laughs) what do you think of the gold silver ratio and do you use it in asset allocation and where do you think it might go to when the you know things finally shake out well the simple answer is i think the gold silver ratio is way too high right now there you go (laughs) um yeah i it's i mean to me that's 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 your best relative value gauge maybe in the whole market because I think I think silver, I think gold and silver are extraordinarily cheap relative to any other type of financial asset that's available, and I think silver is extraordinarily cheap to gold. And and Eric's Eric's right. I mean, if you there's been there's been certain times when the gold silver ratio has reverted back to sixteen. And you know times of extreme duress. So 1929, gold silver ratio was was 16. And in fact, I think the Dow, I think the Dow gold ratio went went to one briefly. Um, and in when when we had that big run up in 1980, gold silver ratio, I believe, I I think I just calculated the other day, it was at 16. 16, yeah. Yeah, and the Dow the Dow gold ratio was at was at one briefly. So. Um, you know, we didn't we didn't quite see that in 2008, but um, you know, 2008 to 2011. But the ratio, the gold silver ratio, did get down to I think 30, as low as 30, or or low 30s. Um, and part of that reason I attribute that to is because the Fed acted so quickly at dumping money into the system to save to save the banks. And the same thing happened in in um, March 2020. You know the Fed. The Fed acted even more quickly and dumped even more money in all at once, and, and so that that distorted historical ratios. You know, with with the Dow Gold and the Gold Silver ratio. But but yeah, I mean, I, I obviously my view is that I think our financial markets at some point here are going to fall apart uncontrollably, and at that point, I think yeah, I think will the Gold Silver ratio get down to sixteen? I don't know. But I think it it at least gets cut in half from where it is right now. So um, yeah, I, I think it's it's a very useful indicator to to you know if you're judging whether you should be buying you know physical gold or physical silver, um, 
you know, well, which one do I buy? Well, where's the gold silver ratio? It's at 80 now. Well, then I'm going to, you know, maybe I'll buy a little bit of gold, but I'm going to buy a lot of silver. Yeah. Here's a, here's a question, Dave, that kind of gets to your uh, experience with the mining shares uh, and it, it concerns buyouts. Um, you know, how many acquisitions would a major or a midterm miner conduct in a cycle? Um, do they generally pay for their acquisitions relative to their market cap? I mean, how big of an app bite can you, you know, take of the Apple? Um, and, and, and is that something that uh, you should, we should expect more of because they've already been increasing dividends and share buybacks and things like that? Yeah, there's, I don't think there's anything formulaic about, you know, how many, how many mid cap, small cap and juniors do the large cap guys swallow? Yeah. Um, you know, but yeah, um, up until, I don't know, the last few weeks, you know, we were starting to see a fair amount of acquisition activity in, in the, in the sector. Um, and actually Ken Ross over the last couple of weeks, they, they unloaded their Russian mines. Yeah. If you remember the old Bima gold back in the early two thousands, that, that was, that was one of their their Russian mines was Bima Gold. I used to own Bima Gold, and then they they just sold a mine in in Ghana to um, I think it's called like Asante Gold. It's it's I actually want to take a look at this company. Yeah, Asante Gold. They they sold a you know they sold a mine to Asante Gold, which is a junior, and and I took a look at at um, you know what they bought, and I was like, oh, this might be cheap. So, um, you know, and obviously the, you know, the two big acquisitions were, were Ken Ross buying Great Bear and, and Agnico Eagle buying Kirkland Lake. And I think once, once Agnico Eagle gets Kirkland Lake digested, I think they're going to be on the acquisition trail again. So, um, you know, and, and the hot areas that I'm looking at for acquisition possibilities would, would obviously be... Um, Northeastern Canada, um, possibly British Columbia, uh, Nevada, maybe Mexico. Um, you know, I think some people are getting frightened away by what seems to be um, more rigid anti-mining standards being imposed there. But I think that's more, more, more talk than than reality. And then, believe it or not, West Africa. I think West Africa is extraordinarily cheap right now. Or undervalued, and so uh, you know, I think once once things stabilize again and we start heading higher, and especially if if gold holds over nineteen hundred and silver can get into the high twenties, and and um, stay there and, and move higher from there, I think you're going to see M and A activity pick up a lot. <clears throat> All right, what, one last question, Dave, because I know uh, this stock's been in the news. And uh, someone wanted, sent this in, wanted me to ask you. I, it comes up often at my TF Metals report site too. But what do you think of this pure gold deal? I know Eric's financing company floated them some cash here recently um, to kind of keep them afloat. What are your thoughts on it? Well, if, if I share my thoughts, it, it's I'm going to be front running my subscribers who, <laughs> who will Good get point. my thoughts tomorrow afternoon. I can comment on it because um, okay. I've. I've I've been writing about it a lot lately. I've I've actually followed Pure Gold, and um, I've you know I I first invested in it in the summer of 2016 at like 30 cents, and so I, I know the company pretty well. 
and I, you know, I've, I've ridden with it through the ups and downs. And I mean, when they issued their mea culpa um, at the end of March about, you know, what was, what was wrong with, with the, with the mine operation. Um, I mean, unless you were on the inside of that company, you had no idea. And I've spent a lot of time talking with the company about it. And um, it, I'm, I'm convinced that it is going to be a successful turnaround situation. I am convinced of that. And, you know, I think, I think Sprott is probably convinced of that too, because um, Sprott resources gave them the, the waiver on their, on their um, debt payment. And they, they made a, a, a $6 million credit facility available to them to give them some liquidity. And my understanding is, I think Eric's going to participate in the in the equity offering that they're they're out there with, um, and I'm pretty sure uh, Anglo Gold is going to. And I, you know, it's unfortunate because I know my average cost is much higher than where it's trading now, and and um, you know, I was recommending it at, at much higher prices, but I think now is an opportunity if you invest in it to, to to get a lot of your money back and to average down and. And maybe eventually make some money. I mean, it's 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 not a problem with the asset itself. It's not a problem with the deposit. It's not a problem with the metallurgy. Everything that they ran into was had to do with with human error, and the, those errors were magnified by the, the the you know the COVID lockdown situation when mm-hmm. they were in the startup phase. So, um, I, I mean, I, I've actually intermittently over the last couple of weeks, I've been, I've been adding to my position down here. You know, I've got some as low as 12 cents in us dollars. And, um, I was going to buy some more yesterday if, if the entire stock market wasn't, you know, wasn't digging for China. So, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think if you assume that, you know, our markets aren't going to completely melt down and that the precious metal sector is going much higher, this is this is one of the I think this is one of the better risk return plays out there. And I think there's a lot of upside in the stock potentially. Well, I think you've just exposed the value of what you do. So uh, please, as we wrap up, Dave, tell everybody again, you go to investmentresearchdynamics.com and look to sign up for the newsletter. Well, there's links there to my mining stock journal and my short sellers journal. And, and um, if you click on the link, you can get some information about what's involved. And um, I don't have a minimum subscription period requirement. So um, that, that's how it works. Awesome. I again, probably should, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, Dave, thank you. We've, again, we've been speaking with Dave Kranzler, uh, the uh, publisher of the Mining Stock Journal, all around good guy. And uh, I think it's probably something that everybody has enjoyed listening to. Again, on your way out, Please be sure to uh, thank Sprott Money for this content. You can do something as simple as a like or a subscribe to whatever platform you listen to. Or, of course, visit their site. I mean, prices are certainly on sale versus where they were about two weeks ago. And the old adage at my site is you always got to be ready to sell some when things look the most rosy and buy some when things look the worst. I'm not sure we're maybe at the worst yet, but certainly not as rosy as it was a couple of weeks ago. SprottMoney.com, great deals on physical precious metal and storing that metal if you want a a safe, secure place to put it. Uh, Please be sure to check them out and give them a call at 888-861-0775. Dave Kranzler, thank you so much for your time. I've kept you longer than I promised, but uh, it's valuable stuff. I really appreciate it. 
Thanks for having me on again, Craig. I appreciate it. Good always, talking with you. It's always fun to talk to you too. And from all of us, it's Broad Money News. It's broadmoney.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see what the month of May has in store for us.